Genesis 39, continuing our study here through the book of Genesis, talking about Joseph. Joseph is the center character now throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. It's going to take us through the next ten chapters. Now, we've been talking about this, and I want to put this slide up here about the bookends of Joseph's life. This is something that we've mentioned here every study that we've gone through with Joseph. These two passages explain what we need to know here about Joseph. First one, that's Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19 there. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. We talked about that last week. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That phrase, he was laid in irons, literally in the Hebrew means that his heart became like iron. And we talked about this, that God is allowing these things in Joseph's life to test him. To test him. Because God had huge plans for Joseph. Huge plans for Joseph. And so the Joseph needed to be prepared for these things. So as we talk about Joseph being sold as a slave, if we talk about Joseph being accused of rape, Joseph being put in prison, yeah, the Lord allowed all that. The Lord allowed all that. And the last one, the second bookend of Joseph's life, Joseph saying in Genesis 50 verse 20, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as to this day to save many people alive. Joseph at the end says, says, I know why all this happened. This happened for good to help out later. So the point is very simple, and we've mentioned this every week. You right now may be going through something, and you don't fully understand why. It seems unfair. It seems unnecessary. And to be quite honest, you don't like it. The Lord may be preparing your heart setting your heart in iron for something bigger and better down the road. And God says, I need you to get in spiritual shape. It's never fun to get in spiritual shape, but it's what the Lord requires of us to be prepared for what he has in store for us later on. So back to Genesis 39. Remember these two verses here. Brock, you can go and flip the lights back on there real quick. Genesis 39, we're now going to talk about Potiphar's wife, the very famous story here. We left off last week with Joseph serving in Potiphar's house, and the Bible says that God's hand was upon Joseph. God was blessing Joseph. I mean, for being a slave over in Egypt, sold as a teenage boy, it's going pretty well. Well, it changes here a little bit. Verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Stop right there. I've always been able to relate to that verse. I just wanted to throw that out there. Verse 7. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to me. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. It's been said by many pastors many times, Joseph lost his garment but kept his witness. And that's a good point to think about. He lost his garment, but he kept his witness. Now, this is difficult because this is such a simple, simple teaching. Simple teaching. Three quick verses. Can you just put that last slide up there? You don't need to kill the lights up here. Just look at these verses right here. First one, 1 Timothy 5, 2. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy, saying this is how you're supposed to treat the women at church. And this is something that I've taught other people, and this is something I try to think about. I grew up with two older sisters. So if I look out at the women of church, I'm supposed to stop and say, okay, if they're an older woman, I'm supposed to say, this is how I would like to treat them as I would treat them with my mother. And at the younger women, I need to look at them as sisters, sisters in Christ. And if they're not saved, I need to look at them as a potential future sister in Christ. 
I say this, and the lesson tonight is not about men struggling with sexual sin, but this is something I like to say. If a man comes up to me and says he doesn't struggle with temptation, I say he's either lying or dead. That's really what it comes down to. Because it's a struggle. And I think too often as Christians, we try to stop and say, oh, it's not a struggle. It is a struggle. It is. Especially in this society where we live today with the way people dress, the way people act, what is available online, what's available anywhere, it's a struggle. And we need to remember we're supposed to treat women, younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, what's the answer to this? Look how simple the answer is. Flee also youthful lusts. Hold on, hold on one second. Let me make a quick point here. Flee also youthful lusts. Now, think about that. Paul's answer is just run from it. Look at this next one here. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you are from God, and you are not your own? This idea that this is the Lord's body, and we're supposed to flee. So you look at what Joseph did. Joseph did the best thing possible. He ran, and not just ran, but look what he did, verse 13. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled fled outside. He didn't just go to the next room. He got completely out of there. He lost his garment but kept his witness. And that's something. So what's the answer when you're tempted physically? Run. See, we live in this society where I think we show our power by standing up to temptation. I had somebody tell me one time that they struggled with alcohol. So every now and then they like to walk down the aisle of the alcohol just to fight it. That made no sense to me. Don't go anywhere near it. We need to flee. We need to run. Years ago, there was a guy that came up to me, and he was struggling with some sexual sin. And what was happening was, for him, the sin was HBO. He had the HBO package in his house. So I said, well, don't watch it. Well, there's good movies on there I like to watch. Okay? Well, where do you watch it? I watch it in my bedroom. Okay, well, that's a problem. If you're going to have to watch it, watch it in living. Well, you know, I like to watch it in my room. That's where I have private. It's quiet, etc. Okay, well then why don't you just cancel the package? Well, I can't really cancel the package. It was a gift for Christmas. It'd be, basically what it came down to is I said to the guy, I love you, but you're just going to keep making excuses. That's what it comes down to. If you really want, you just run. You flee. Now, once again, that doesn't sound really manly. If someone comes up and says, hey, how do you handle sexual temptation? I run from it. Why? Because I'm weak. And I know I can't fight. I can't win. I run. One of my favorite pastors of all time, I just found out this year, he had to step down because he had an affair. Boy, that hurt. That really honestly hurt. And as the church has grown out here numerically, one of the things we have done is I really try to limit what I do for counseling and talking to women. And I hope that doesn't come across the wrong way. And sometimes I've had gals kind of get a little frustrated because they've said, hey, can I sit down and talk to you? And I'll say, you can talk to me, but I need to either have my wife there or somebody else. Or I'll say, hey, have you talked to this other gal? I'm not trying to push them off, but I just realize, you know what? Titus makes it clear. Men minister to men. Women minister to women. And I know that sometimes it's frustrating. But if a woman is going through a tough marriage problem and she has a husband that's a bum of a husband, you know, go back to this verse here. If she has a bum of a husband, in verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. If that's me, so I got the handsomeness, and you throw in the spiritual side with it, that's not good. I'm obviously joking. I hope you know that. Point is, it's not good. Now, that doesn't mean I don't talk to gals. That doesn't mean I don't, you know, I don't act that way, but there comes a time and a place where it's going to be something deep, if it's going to be something spiritual, the best thing to do is let you just go be ministered to by a woman. It just is. That's the way God intended it. It's not because I don't like you. I actually like you and I want what's best for you. I don't know how many times I've told a lady, 
you know, I'm not the one to talk to you about raising babies. Why don't you talk to my wife? I mean, I was there, but she was there. What I just see as society grows, this idea of sexual morality becomes a bigger problem all over the place. It's nothing new. Paul dealt with temple prostitutes 2,000 years ago. Joseph dealt with this 4,000 years ago. One last story about this before I move on. I remember hearing a teaching years ago. And at the time, I wasn't a pastor. I was a new Christian. I was just gotten saved. And someone said, you need to listen to this tape. So I listened to this tape. And as I was listening to it, the pastor made this story. And I've shared this story with you before. He goes, to you pastors, he goes, how many of you were popular in high school? And he goes, I'm assuming none of you. He goes, how many of you in high school had all the girls line up to want to talk to you in high school? He goes, I'm assuming none of you. He goes, now after every Sunday service, who lines up to talk to you? He goes, women. They line up to talk to you. And at the time, I didn't think of it. But now, you know what? That's true. Now, that's not necessarily wrong. It's wrong when that can become an issue. And he was basically saying to men, guard yourself. Billy Graham says, keep your hands off the glory, off the money, and off the women. And it's a pretty good three-fold combination there. So my point is this, is Joseph ran, he fled, lost his garment, kept his witness. It hasn't changed. Flee. Flee. If there's a temptation, change the station. Shut the TV off. Leave the room. Shut down the internet. Don't talk to that person. Keep your eyes on the ground. You know, Job had this great verse in the book of Job where he says, I will keep my, I will not let my eyes wander to the left or to the right to stray to look at the young maidens. Now think about that. Job was probably written 4,000 years ago. What were the young maidens wearing 4,000 years ago? I'm assuming about six layers of burlap. There was nothing to see. But Job said, I can't. I can't go there. I wonder what Job would think if he walked through the mall in the middle of the summer. Now, I'm not picking on the gals. Because as men, we need to watch what we do. And Joseph here, flee sexual immorality. We can learn from this. We can run from it. We can run. And one other thing here real quick. If you look in verse 10, where it says, He did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. If you look in the NIV or the New Living Translation, it says that he just stayed away from her. I just envisioned that if she walked into the room, Joseph left the room. He just stayed away. I don't know how many times with temptation, and you can fill in the blank here with the sexual immorality. It may not be sexual immorality for you. It may be any other form of temptation. Maybe it's something to do with drinking. Maybe it's something to do with gossip. I don't know what it is. But when that starts up, leave. Just leave. Using the example of drinking, I had a friend that struggled with drinking for many, many years, and he finally kind of kicked it, if you will. And so he thought it was safe to start going back to the parties. I said, come on, man, don't do it. Nope, I can handle this. He went to one, got himself in trouble again. He finally learned in wisdom, I, I don't even go. Flee. It's not weakness, it's actually strength to do that. Yeah, Jeremiah. I'm asking why she won't have a Mm-hmm. Right. When you're talking about lust, if I go like, oh, I'm crazy, I like to tell you everything I did, I can tell you I sinned, you know, and God should know, right? 
Right. 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 Let, let me say this a couple things about what you're saying. What you're saying is very true. And sometimes what we do as Christians is when somebody stumbles into sin, we have a tendency as believers who have been saved by grace to be the first one to pick up stones. I, I've, hold on a second. I joked with you guys before that I think a lot of believers would like to bring back stoning. They would like to do that. I agree with what you're saying is that we're all sinners and so no one is qualified to do anything. I'm probably the most unqualified person to be a pastor and I agree with what you're saying. But what happens is if you look under the qualifications of being a pastor, especially if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's very strict qualifications because the pastor is supposed to be a godly example. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean as a pastor or an elder or a deacon or whatever title you have, it doesn't mean that you're above sin. But the point is supposed to be that, yes, that these destructive behaviors that will cause damage to a family, to a church, they need to be stayed away from. And when those destructive behaviors happen, that has to be sometimes you have to stop and say, you know what, this person may need to step back from ministry for a while. This has happened out here at church before. We've had to ask people to step back from ministry for a while, not because we're angry, not because, you know, we hate them, but you know what, something spiritually went wrong in your life. And you need to take a step back from ministry, reevaluate, refocus, get back on track, and then let's see what the Lord has down the road for this. So, yeah. Right. No, you shouldn't give up because you sin, because everybody can be saved by grace. There's absolutely true. But what happens is sometimes in a leadership position, the effects of that sin is such a, a crack in the foundation that sometimes it's such a big deal that you have to take a step back for a while. The church needs to heal from that. So, anybody else have anything here before we move on? Alrighty, so Joseph runs, Joseph flees. We can learn from that. He stays away. He's doing everything right. Everything right. Verse 13. So it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought us into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like this, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his masters heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Very simply put, Joseph did absolutely nothing wrong, and he still got in trouble. How's that for a great teaching point? You can do everything right and still get in trouble. That's just the way the system works. And when I say the system works, what I'm really trying to say is this. It's unfair. My, my boys, my big thing now that my boys like to say to me is they come up and they say, Dad, it's not fair that, and I stop them immediately and say, we're not going there. We're not doing the fair thing. Or they'll come up and say something like this. Dad, why did he get to do, and I'll stop them, and I call them Peter. Because if you remember at the, book, at the end of the book of John, when Jesus said to Peter, basically, this is what's going to happen to you. And Peter then looked at John and said, well, what about him? Do you know anybody that's the what about him people? Okay, fine, you're talking to me, but what about him? And anytime I do marriage counseling with a couple, I always say, if I'm talking to the one person one-on-one, I'm not going to talk about your spouse, because what good does it do to talk about them if they're not in the room with us? So what about them? My point is this, life is not fair. I don't know what else to tell you. You guys know this. You can do everything right and still get into trouble. You can. I'm reading through Philippians right now, and in Philippians, Paul says, I'm in chains. And he says, very simply put, since I'm in chains, God's actually going to use this to further the gospel. 
What a way to look at it. He basically says, God is going to use this to further the gospel. He doesn't sit there and say, woe is me. I'm telling you right now, if I ever go to prison for the Lord and I write this church a letter, don't read it publicly. It's going to be embarrassing. Because I'm going to say, what's going on? This isn't fair. Why is this all happening? I will probably not say, hey, God is using this. That's a pretty neat thing. So this is not fair. It's not fair that Joseph, just because he was dad's favorite, got thrown in a pit. It's not fair that Joseph got sold as a slave. It's not fair that Joseph was accused of rape. It's not fair that Joseph was then sent to prison. And we're going to find out next week, it's not fair that after he helps somebody get out of prison, they forget about him for two years. That's not fair. But the point of the life is not about being fair. The point is back to our bookends of Joseph's life. God is allowing this to happen to prepare his heart. His heart is becoming like iron. And it's not that it's becoming hard-hearted, like he doesn't care, but he's getting tough. He's getting tough for what the Lord has for him later on in life. How many times do we read a verse in the Bible about ministry, where God makes it very clear? To be involved in any type of ministry, you need to be tough. You need to be determined. He told Ezekiel, i got to make you as hard as flint to get ready for this. He told Jeremiah, how are you supposed to run with the horses if you can't keep up with the footmen? He says, if you want to be involved, if you want to be used for God, you've got to be prepared to be hurt and broken because that's the type of man that the Lord uses. Now, now I know that's not what the church wants to hear, but if I read throughout the Bible, I see men and women of God who the Lord uses by breaking them. By getting rid of all this sin and this junk and saying, I'm going to use you mightily. I can't remember who said it, if if it was Tozer or if it was uh, C.S. Lewis. I can't remember which one. But the man that God wants to use is usually a broken man. Now think about that. When you guys get a chance to share the Lord, if you guys get a chance to help people out, what are most of your stories about what the Lord's done? When you were going through a tough time, how he helped you through. Not many of you ever say, you know what, I just want to let you know because I see you crying right now and you're in a really bad area of life and I'm sorry for that. And the way I want to minister to your bad area of life is let me tell you about the best I ever had. Now, that doesn't usually go over real well. What goes over real well is when you can look them in the eye and say, I've been in that spot before. I know what you're going through. Pain, hurt. Joseph is being prepared. Now, the next time you pray, Lord, use me, think about what you're saying. Do you really mean that? And I'm going to be honest with you. I think the majority of people, especially in America, that call themselves Christians, really don't mean that. I'm really asking you. If you want to say, Lord, use me, are you okay with the life of Joseph? You want to be sold as a slave? You want to be accused of rape? You want to be thrown in prison and forgotten about? Do you want that? Is that how you want to be used? Probably not. So you want to be used like Paul? You want to be thrown in prison like Paul was? How about Peter, who was probably crucified upside down? How about John, who was probably boiled in oil? Moses, who had to spend 40 years in the wilderness? What about David, that lost his kingdom, got it back, lost his kingdom, got it back, his family revolted? I'm trying to think of somebody right now that's like, okay, that's the guy I want to be used by. I want to be just like him. No problems, no questions, no complaints, no nothing. And if you can think of somebody, please let me know, because I can't really think of anybody that the Bible goes into detail about. Detail. Yeah. Cain? Cain? I don't think we want to model ourselves after Cain. I, I, like you said earlier, well, but Cain didn't change. If you go read in the beginning of Genesis, Cain was marked for life, and Cain went and wandered in the wilderness. So, no, Cain, 
Cain is probably the anti-example. So if we do the opposite of Cain, we're probably doing okay. So we'll th- I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure I don't think it was Cain there. What's that? No, Cain didn't. Saul became Paul, but Paul still had a lot of struggles there. So, but when you look at this, I'm going to show you a couple of verses here, though, that I kind of have to remind us of this. Pick in verse 1. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Do you see those points about Joseph's life? Look at this. This guy now is in prison for a crime he did not commit after being sold as a slave as a teenage boy. And what does it say, verse 21? The Lord was with Joseph. Well, my first thought, if the Lord is with Joseph, why isn't he getting him out of prison? Do you ever think about that? You can be in a spot that is completely unfair, that is completely hurtful, is actually harmful to you physically, and God says, yeah, that's exactly where I want you. Do you ever think about that? That's exactly where I want you. This is perfect. I, I mean, think about this from Joseph's perspective. This is great. I'm accused of rape in an Egyptian prison. And it says in verse 21, the Lord was with him. That doesn't sound like the Lord being with him. And even jump ahead one more time. Look at this right here, verse 23. The Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Do you see this guy? He's sold as a slave, and next thing you know, he's running his master's house. Okay, now he's in prison, accused of rape, and now he's running the prison. And in just a few short chapters, he's going to be second in charge of Egypt. The point is this. Go back to our book in verse God says, I'm allowing these things to happen to prepare his heart for something bigger and better that's coming. Now, two points on this to finish up, because it's already 8 o'clock here. First point is that the Lord is allowing something into your life right now. Allow it. It's growing you. It's making you stronger. It doesn't make it fair. It doesn't make it fun. And you may sit there and say, how can a God of love allow this? Because you don't see the big picture. You don't. God is doing something now that's going to be extremely spiritually healthy for you down the road. So allow it to happen because it's growing you. And during this time, say, Lord, I want to be built up stronger. I want to grow. I want this. Now, the second point, can you go with me to 1 Peter 4 here to finish up? Because some of you may have something going on in your life right now, and it's not fair, it's hurtful, and it's harmful. And guess what? It's not of the Lord. It's of you. We need to be able to distinguish this. If it's of the Lord, allow it to happen. Use it. Grow it. Amen. But if it's of me, how do we know the difference? 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is so to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Guys, don't think it's strange when you have bad days. Don't think it's strange when things don't go well for you. Don't think it's strange. Peter says this is something that's going to happen. I think sometimes as Christians, we're shocked when something bad happens to us. This is the world we live in, verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. If these things are happening to you, Because of who you are in Christ, God says you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is a blaspheme, but on your part he is glorified. Amen. But, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. 
Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Did you catch verse 15? You can also suffer for your own stupidity. Now you got to think about that for a second. If you're suffering in life and things are difficult, you have to stop and say, is this because the Lord is using this to grow me? Or is this because of choices I've made? I've shared this example with you many times before. Years ago, I had someone come up to me, and he talked about how he had no friends at work, he had no friends in life, he had no friends anywhere, he was lonely and whatever. I said, why do you think you're lonely? And he says, well, everybody thinks I'm a jerk. And I said, are you a jerk? And he stopped and he goes, yeah, I guess I am. Okay, that's not a God thing. That's a jerk suffering the consequences of being a jerk. Verse 15, if you're a murderer, a thief, evildoer, busybody... You can't sit there and say, I suffer. Well, why do you suffer? No one will talk to me. Why? Because as soon as they tell me something, I like to go gossip it. Well, that's not Christian suffering. That's you creating a situation that you're feeling the effects of. Or an evildoer. My kids won't be around me. Why? Because every time they're around me, I yell and scream at them. Well, you're suffering as an evildoer. Now, the point is this. How can you tell the difference? The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. That's what's going to happen. You will go to the Lord, and I think this is something we should do on a regular basis. Think of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139. Search me, try me, see if there's any iniquity in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, is there something you're molding in my life to make me stronger like Joseph? If so, I want to pass the test. Help me. Or, Lord, is there iniquity in my life, sin in my life, that's creating these issues? If you're finding yourself going away from the Lord, and going backwards in your walk with the Lord, and you don't even have a walk anymore, it's a crawl, and then you wonder why your life doesn't feel blessed? It may be because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. But if you're in the Word and your prayer and you're serving and you're fasting, you're saying, Lord, I want everything you have, and I still don't realize why this is going on, that may be the Lord saying, I am in your life. I am using more than what you could ever imagine. If Joseph would have went to the Lord right now and said, Lord, I am so sorry for what I'm doing. Forgive me and make this stop. It wouldn't have stopped. God says, Joseph, I'm allowing this. I'm using this. But we have to stop and make sure that we're not allowing iniquity in our life that's creating headaches for us. I've seen too many believers blame God for choices they made. It doesn't work that way. And if the Lord is allowing this into your life to strengthen you, amen. Difficult to say, but that's an amen because, Lord, you are using this mightily. mightily. So, anybody got any final quick questions, comments here? Ryan. Right. Yeah, we don't know for sure. We do know, like, like Ryan was said, that we do know it was at least two years until the whole uh, Butler-Baker candlestick maker thing happened in Genesis 40. And then once that happens, it was two years. But like Ryan says, we don't know how long it was before that, before that happened. All right. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer and we'll let you guys go then. Heavenly Father.